Good morning to you. Thank you for that that uh, uh, time of worship. Can I uh, ask you to, uh, if you have a Bible with you, if you could turn to uh, Acts chapter 15. Acts chapter 15. We are continuing uh, our series in the Gospel of Mark. And we have now reached chapter 15. So I'm going to uh, read for us um, from verse 1 down to verse 15. So verse 1 down to verse 15. Did I say Acts? I apologize. <laughs> so Mark Mark's Gospel chapter 15. So uh, we've already been in Acts and we will be going back into Acts. But Mark chapter 15 there. Very early in the morning, the chief priests with the elders, the teachers of the law and the whole Sanhedrin reached a decision. They bound Jesus, led him away and turned him over to Pilate. Are you the king of the Jews? asked Pilate. Yes, it is as you say, Jesus replied. The chief priests accused him of many things. So again, Pilate asked him, aren't you going to answer? See how many things they are accusing you of. But Jesus still made no reply. And Pilate was amazed. Now it was the custom at the feast to release a prisoner whom the people requested, a man called Barabbas, who was in prison with the insurrectionists who had committed murder in the uprising. The crowd came and asked Pilate to do for them what he usually did. Do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? asked Pilate knowing it was out of envy that the chief priests had handed Jesus over to him. But the chief priests stirred up the crowd to have Pilate release Barabbas instead. What shall I do then with the one you call the king of the Jews? Pilate asked them. Crucify him, they shouted. Why? What crime has he committed? asked Pilate. But they shouted all the louder, Crucify him. Wanting to satisfy the crowd, Pilate released Barabbas to them. He had Jesus flogged and handed him over to be crucified. Well, may the Lord bless that reading to us this morning. So we're now into chapter 15. And... We're going now towards the crucifixion of our uh, uh, precious Saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ. We're heading to that what amazing climax in this Gospel. Let me pray for us as we, we come to consider the things in our passage this morning. Loving Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning that uh, 
you have brought us safely to this place. And we ask that you might uh, grant us grace and unction in our hearing, um, that we may take on board uh, the scriptures and what they are teaching us, what they are showing it <laughs> forth about uh, the Lord Jesus Christ. May we truly engage in contemplating the mysteries of your heavenly wisdom and the wonder of your gospel. And Lord, that it might increase our devotion to you and to your glory and for our edification. Amen. Amen. So this morning we uh, are into chapter 15 of Mark's Gospel. And we are viewing Jesus before Pilate, before uh, this uh, uh, Roman Pontius Pilate. And I was reminded uh, as I was kind of preparing um, uh, the message for this morning <coughs> of the, uh, the uh, goal that I, and theme that I set when when thinking of, first thinking about this uh, this series in Mark, uh, wanting to bring out great things about the Lord Jesus Christ, to bring out great things about the Lord Jesus Christ, and I'm th thankful that we we sang uh, uh, that hymn by Charles uh, Gabriel. I stand amazed in the presence of Jesus the Nazarene. I wonder how he could love me, a sinner condemned and clean. I do uh, thank thank the musicians for, for choosing that this morning. Uh, I was going to refer to at least one of the, the uh, verses um, uh, in my, my message because it's, it's one hymn that's been sort of with me as I've been going through Mark's Gospel and of course we see at verse 5 uh, that this great man, this uh, probably the, the, the most uh, powerful person in the whole region at this time, Pilate, Pontius Pilate, and we see him there uh, uh, where it says that Pilate was amazed. And I hope that uh, we can be genuinely amazed with the Lord Jesus Christ this morning, that we can stand amazed in the presence of Jesus, the Nazarene. And I, I, that's my hope and prayer for us this morning as we look at, uh, at these verses here and consider amazing things about the Lord Jesus Christ. Would you, uh, if you can, if you've got a Bible there, just quickly turn with me to uh, 1 Peter, 1 Peter uh, uh, chapter 3. I just want to read, uh, read uh, just one, one verse uh, for us. One Peter, uh, just turn to it for us. One Peter, chapter three, and it's a verse that uh, you'll be familiar when you when we we get there. One Peter, uh, chapter three, verses eighteen. So, uh, Get to it in the Bible. The 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18. 
For Christ died for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive by the Spirit. So I'd like you to, to if, if you want a, 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 another New Testament uh, text for us this morning, it's, it's this, would be this verse. For Christ died for sins once for all. Uh, and this is the key. The righteous for the unrighteous. So keep that in mind this morning. My title for uh, this morning is The King Condemned. The king come down. So we're going to be thinking about Jesus uh, as a king. And that's really part of the theme of uh, the passage before us. And I want to sort of be concerned uh, with verses 1 through to 15. But specifically uh, thinking about uh, Pilate's response this morning. What Jesus says to Pilate and Pilate's response that we've seen there. In verse five. So thinking back, sort of very quickly reviewing where we've we've been in this series, where when I was last uh, uh, standing before you, and we were uh, thinking about Mark's gospel, uh, we were there in chapter fourteen, and we spent quite a while in chapter fourteen, several Sundays uh, in chapter fourteen. Uh, we were thinking about. Uh, the, the Jesus and the disciples going up into the uh, Garden of Gethsemane there, Jesus and uh, what what is known as his passion there. He's 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 praying to the Father, and uh, then we've got the the uh, the arrest, and then Jesus being brought before the the, the high priests, and uh, so we see Jesus suffering terrible abuse, don't we? When we go, just turn back uh, and, and look. Uh, at the end of uh, chapter 14, we see what happens to, to Jesus. Uh, terrible abuse that he suffers uh, at the hands of the religious leaders. So we see Jesus being uh, betrayed. We see Jesus being deserted by the disciples. They all flee. Uh, denied by Peter, and that's what we were considering last time. We were thinking very much about Peter. And then Paul helpfully uh, uh, revisited uh, the ministry of Peter, didn't he, last week, where we were thinking about how the Lord restored Peter uh, uh, and used Peter. And so Jesus is betrayed, deserted, denied, and falsely accused. And so we're thinking a bit more about that, that he's... He's now being brought before Pilate and uh, all these false accusations are being brought forward. <coughs> and of course the, Jew, the Jews uh, accuse him of blasphemy. Uh, we see that in uh, uh, verse uh, 64 um, of chapter 14. So he is a man uh, uh, condemned by the religious authorities. He's now been brought before Pilate. The authorities, as we read there in verse 1, they're meeting very early in the morning uh, to, you know, just to, to consult with one another and they're agreed upon the course of action that Jesus is going to be condemned. Jesus 
they want Jesus out of the way. And of course they can't um, uh, do that, that they can't execute him themselves. So they have to go to the, to the Roman authorities. And Pilate, being the governor, uh, the procurator of the region, the, he is the man that they have to go to. And who was Pilate? Well, Pontius Pilate was the governor or procurator of the region of Syria and Judea. And we can assume that he had an excellent Roman education. Uh, he would have learned classical philosophy uh, and perhaps some training in rhetoric. That is, he was familiar with the art of arguing, familiar with the art of uh, putting forth a, an argument. And his um, uh, role was really to represent Rome in the interests of the emperor, emperor of Rome and to enforce that authority. So he was the one that would uh, authorize executions. He was the one, uh, that if anything was going to happen on that level, he was the one that people had to go to. And uh, he didn't have a good history with the, the, the Jewish people. Uh, and uh, uh, he uh, ha really uh, didn't like... The, 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 the Jewish uh, uh, religious authorities, he resented their, their demands and so forth. So there wasn't a good dynamic between the Jewish uh, uh, authorities, the chief priests and so forth, and Pilate. But here he is, uh, uh, being, having Jesus being brought uh, to him. And if you're from an Anglican background or if you've ever been in an Anglican church or a church that uses the creeds, you will know that in the Apostles' Creed there is that line uh, where, you know, where, where we read, I believe in God the Father, the Almighty, uh, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived of the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate. So there, there it is in the Apostles' Creed. Jesus suffered under Pontius Pilate. And as we're going to see as we're going into chapter 15, that is the case. And in fact, all of the Gospels, all, all of the Gospels we see, Jesus suffered under Pontius Pilate, under this, the, the, this man that we're, we're thinking about now. Because the Jewish authorities had no authority to execute anyone. They needed to go through Pilate, and of course, in bringing Jesus bound in chains or you know, uh, to Pontius Pilate, they were fulfilling uh, Old Testament prophecy and they were fulfilling Genesis 49, verse 10. We don't really have time to perhaps go into that, but uh, uh, this is what it says, um, reading uh, from the authorized version. Uh, which might be helpful for us. Um, verse 10 of Genesis 49, this is a prediction, really, uh, of Jacob. As You know, there in, in that, that chapter, Jacob is, is praying and, and blessing each of his sons. There he is in Egypt, and uh, he's now praying for Judah. And then verse 10 says this, The scepter uh, shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet, until Shiloh come, and unto him shall the gathering of the people be. And of course, that is a messianic prediction, and it's fulfilled in the Lord Jesus Christ. 
is fulfilled in Christ. So here's one amazing thing about the Lord Jesus Christ. That these, these um, actions by these uh, wicked uh, uh, religious rulers, these chief priests and scribes, were fulfilling Scripture. And fulfilling uh, Scripture for our benefit, for our, 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 our eternal benefit. Uh, yet not realising that at all. So Pilate and, uh, knew several things. When Jesus is brought before him, we see, uh, as we read the Gospel accounts, and we see here in Mark's account, that uh, he could see their envy of Jesus. They, they were envious of the Lord, and as we've been going through the Gospels, we've seen that, that conflict there, that that amnesty that they had with, uh, in, in terms of the Lord Jesus Christ and all that he was doing, that, that they, the popularity that he had with the people because they, they could see that he taught with authority that not, they didn't have, that he did things that they couldn't do, that he was healing people and, and, and bringing health and wholeness to people. And he was saying things about himself and they, they were envious. So he, he can, in a sense, sense that. Uh, and we also see that he, he doesn't believe that Jesus is guilty and deserving of death. In fact, we, we see that he, he was prepared to let Jesus go. Maybe not for, <coughs> for, for such noble motives. Not because he, 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 he had some sympathy for Jesus. It was more perhaps because... Well, he was fed up with the, 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 the Jewish leadership, perhaps, and he thought, well, if I let Jesus go, he can annoy them a bit more. Maybe he was thinking something like that. So he didn't uh, see Jesus as being a threat. And if we go to John chapter 18, or, you know, uh, in your own time, turn to John chapter 18, we see a bit more uh, into that conversation between Jesus and Pilate, and of course Jesus is speaking about his kingdom, that it's not of this world. And so Pilate here obviously is, is thinking, well, uh, whoever this man is, whatever kind of king he is, he's not a threat to Rome, he's not a threat, he's not a threat to me. And so he was quite willing to let Jesus go. And of course, uh, we have Barabbas entering the scene. Barabbas, we are told here, is a murderer, uh, accused obviously of murder, and he's accused of insurrection. So as far as Rome was concerned, as far as Pilate was concerned, here was a man who was genuinely deserving of death. He was a man who was deserving of crucifixion. Not, uh, not this, per this man before him. This uh, uh, Jesus, Barabbas definitely was guilty, and if what if the text is true, and we believe it is, that he was a murderer, that he was part of probably uh, what was a, an insurrection among many insurrections that were taking place uh, by the, uh, the zealots. Uh, he was obviously, uh, as far as Rome was concerned, uh, guilty. But what we see in our passage is that Jesus takes his place. Jesus takes his place. And in fact, it's a gospel picture for us, isn't it? That Jesus takes our place. Because we 
I like Brat Barabbas. Now, this morning you might not be thinking, well, I'm not an insurrectionist, I'm not uh, a revolutionary, I'm not uh, out murdering people or, or anything like that. Uh, but you see, Jesus takes the place of the sinner when he goes to the cross. And Jesus' condemnation is for our ultimate blessing, isn't it? Because if Jesus wasn't condemned, and Pilate could have turned the tables on the uh, chief priests, he could have told them, this guy's innocent, the power of an authority of Rome isn't interested, on your bike, out you go. But that doesn't happen as, as we see. It doesn't happen because what does Pilate do? He, uh, he gives in, or it, it seems that he gives in to the Jewish leaders and the crowds. And the reason for that is possibly uh, selfish reasons, because uh, he, uh, he perhaps felt, well, if, if I just let, let, let them have their way, then I can perhaps win their favour and perhaps have some extra influence over them. So, yes, G yes Pilate saw Jesus as innocent, and we know Jesus was innocent, but uh, perhaps for selfish reasons, he eventually gives in, even after perhaps three times saying, well, I find no guilt in this man. And when we see in the text there, you know, he's, he's saying, you know, um, verse 14, why? What crime has he committed? And Jesus hasn't committed any crime. We know that. Uh, and Hebrews 7 verses 26 and 27 tells us that we have a high priest who's pure, holy, undefiled, separate from sinners. He was innocent. And as the writer of Hebrews, uh, you know, tells us that he was a high priest who, who was innocent and, and, and uh, uh, un, untouched by sin. And that's how he could be that high priest, that wonderful high priest. That is the Lord Jesus Christ for us. That's what's marvellous about Jesus, isn't it? That he was innocent. Pilate uh, could see part of the picture, but as a, a, a sinful, selfish, um, uh, self-centered uh, Roman uh, who didn't really understand who he was standing before. You think about this. He has the Lord Jesus Christ before him, standing before him. And it says there, verse 5, he was amazed. He was amazed at Jesus. But that amazement wasn't the amazement that when we take, in, take on board who the Lord Jesus Christ is, that kind of amazement, the amazement that Charles Gabriel was thinking of when he penned that hymn all those years ago. I stand amazed in the presence of Jesus, the Nazarene. My friends, this morning, is that where you are? Are you perhaps like the chief priest? Are you like uh, uh, Pilate, this highly educated Roman who could probably quote <coughs> Epicurus and and uh, Aristotle, just probably just like that, a man who uh, uh, probably read Greek and, and, and as well as Latin and uh, 
was a very shrewd man, a very shrewd uh, um, politician, and that's what he was. And yet he couldn't, he didn't see the, the, the Lord Jesus Christ in all his glory and majesty and who he was, that he, his innocence was what condemned the high priests. He didn't see who the Lord Jesus really was. And it's a question for us. As we are here today contemplating, thinking about the Lord Jesus Christ. And we're going to be thinking about the table, aren't we, and the elements. How do we stand? How do we, how do we think about the Lord Jesus Christ? Are we standing in, an, in, in amazement, in, in wonder? Uh, and and, and, the, and these, these wonderful words from that hymn. That really helps it helps us to think about these things. Are we uh, studying in the shoes of Charles Gabriel and other hymn writers who are, uh, are writing and penning these hymns because they're so full of, of wonder and, and awe at the Lord Jesus Christ and who he is and what he has done and achieved for us. He's accomplished salvation for us. Where are we this morning with this? This is Shiloh. This is the Messiah. This is the King of Kings. This is the Lord of Lords. Standing before a man who is amazed at Jesus' silence, but uh, is not perhaps amazed in the true sense. <coughs> but are we amazed this morning with Jesus? Where are we in that sense? So Jesus takes the place of Barabbas. Jesus, who is totally innocent, stands in the place of the sinner. And of course, we've, we've thought about Genesis 49. We can think of Isaiah 53, that Jesus is uh, uh, here now. This is being fulfilled, uh, reading from verse 7. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, like a sheep before its shearers is silent. So he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And as for his generation who considered that he was cut off of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people. And they made his grave with the wicked and with the rich man in his death. Although he had done no violence, there was no deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him and to put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall seize offspring, he shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. And this is speaking about the Lord Jesus Christ, isn't it? And so when we come to the Lord Jesus Christ, as we see him here in this passage, in this terrible moment, in this situation, bound, uh, having been, spent the night being abused and being punched and spat at, and now he's before uh, this, 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 the most powerful man of the, the, in that that he could anyone could possibly stand before, and he and uh, he's got all these uh, chief priests uh, uh, and they're shouting at him and 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 crying out these these false accusations, and yet there he's silent, he's bound and he's silent before his accusers, and we see contentment. 
Jesus is a king who is content. Content in the circumstance. He's a king who is condemned as a criminal, yet totally innocent. He's a king who confirms his kingship. In those simple words, in that simple statement, it is as you say, yes, he is the king. He's affirming that he is a king. But his kingdom is not like the kingdoms of this world. He's not a king like the Roman emperors or like Herod or any other king that Pilate might be thinking of. He is the king of kings. He is the bright morning star, isn't he? He's the Lord of lords. And we don't necessarily need to turn to it, but we go right to the end of the last book of the Bible. Revelation 19, you'll know the, the verse that I'm thinking of, verse 16. Uh, is it verse 16? Or, um, yes, this is, this is verses, uh, I think it's at verses 19. No, it's not verses, I think it's the verses before it, uh, where it says, He will rule them with an eye sceptre. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh, he has this writ name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. That is the Lord Jesus Christ. He is this king, as we see here, content in the circumstance, silence for his his accusers condemned but confirms his kingdom and this is the, the 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 wonderful truth about the lord jesus christ isn't it sinclair ferguson who is a bible teacher uh, and theologian says this when thinking about uh, um uh, the players of, of this scene that we're thinking about Pilate and the the chief priest, he says this, without knowing it, the religious leaders and Pilate and Barabbas were all part of a tapestry of grace which God was weaving for sinners. I think that was a wonderful way of putting it, isn't it? A tapestry of grace that God is weaving for sinners, for sinners like you and I. So this is a terrible thing, a king condemned, but he's condemned uh, for us it should have been Barabbas Barabbas should have been the one uh, according to Roman law uh, according to to uh, uh, God's holy law if he'd been a murderer he should have gone uh, to, uh, to the cross but it was Jesus in his stead yes what a wonderful tapestry of grace God was weaving for sinners like you and I J.C. Ryle, the uh, great evangelical bishop of Liverpool, says this, Let us never forget that wicked men are often fulfilling God's predictions to their own ruin, and yet know it not. In the very height of their madness and folly and unbelief, they are often unconsciously supplying fresh evidence that the Bible is true and that, that that is a wonderful another again another um um uh, quotation and the way he has put it is is so right isn't it that 
you know, and here are wicked men who are acting willfully. They are willfully acting out their evil desires. We have Pilate who is, is just a man who is just, at the end of the day, unprincipled. And you could say, well, um, what, what, what would have Boris jo- uh, Johnson uh, have done if he was in his place? Would Boris Johnson have been any different? Well, we, we know Boris Johnson studied, I think, what was it, the classics at Oxford? Um, uh, I don't want to impugn Boris Johnson. <laughs> but, uh, you know, uh, Pilate, Pilate is just, just like, you know, po- politicians don't change, do they? You know, the culture and language and times might change. But, uh, you know, he was, he was just a man who was, uh, it, it, you know, uh, uh, in many ways unscrupulous and uh, unprincipled. Yes, he, he did see Jesus as being innocent, but um, he, he didn't let Jesus go. But it was all to fulfill God's predictions, all to fulfill that purpose and plan of God to bring about redemption for us. So when we see this king condemned, we ought to be rejoicing because in that condemnation, Jesus would go to the cross to pay for sin, to be that substitute for you and I. And that is wonderful, isn't it? So there's those three C's, a king that is content. He's content to be silent and fulfilling Isaiah. Content because it, it being silent, that silence itself condemns the, the high priests because he is a man innocent. He's he's without sin, and he's he's a king who is condemned, and a king uh, who confirms his his true kingship, and he's a king who is the chief cornerstone. We've been in Acts um, already this morning. And we can turn just a few pages over to chapter 4 of Acts, uh, reading 11, uh, verses 11 to 12, which, which says this. I'll read from verse 10. Then know this. So Peter is uh, 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 addressing the rulers and teachers of the law. Uh, and uh, uh, here he is now with great boldness here. He's speaking, addressing them. You know, it's, it's after this uh, man has been healed there in the temple. And he says this, verse 10, Then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. He is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the capstone. And then verse 12, which is wonderful, isn't it, for us? Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. No other name. Yes, Jesus is the king who is the chief cornerstone. And there Peter quoting from the Old Testament again. And Jesus fulfills that. He is the chief cornerstone. Rejected by the builders. But became the chief cornerstone. 
And they were the, the chief priests and they were supposed to be the builders. They were supposed to be the, the shepherds of Israel. But they failed in that. And by their own wicked hands, they took Jesus. As uh, if we go back to uh, uh, Peter's address there in Acts 2, uh, just going back, uh, uh, he's... Uh, uh, addressing that religion, he's just realized addressing the people there uh, when he says, Therefore, let Israel be assured, verse 36, God made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. It was according to the uh, determinate will of God to do so, it was the fulfilling of God's uh, plan. For redemption and salvation for sinful people. So a king who is the chief cornerstone. And it's a comfort for sinners. The, the, the king who brings comfort, isn't it? This Christ who is the Jesus who, who is condemned. Uh, in that there is comfort for us. Because he is that great substitute. And as I said already, we are all like Barabbas aren't we? We're like Barabbas in that we are in, in sin, uh, we are slaves to sin and we are without hope. And yet Jesus takes our place, like he did there, taking the place of Barabbas, going to the cross. We are dead in sins and uh, deserving of punishment. As Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2, and you were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. And verse 3, among whom we all, all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. That was Barabbas, isn't it? That it applies to Barabbas, and it applies to us. That that is that is our condition. That is our situation. But then, verse four of Ephesians, Paul then says this: "But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love which He loved us, even when we were dead in trespass, our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ by grace." You have been saved. And it's all part of uh, this rich tapestry of grace that Sinclair Ferguson speaks about. This wonderful <laughs> tapestry of grace that God is weaving for sinners like you and I. Jesus, our great substitute. And what, what a wonderful uh, thing to take hold of this morning. Jesus, our substitute. He was condemned and condemned for you and I. He shouldn't have gone to the cross because he was innocent. But it was all part of God's plan and uh, his purpose to bring about redemption. To uh, enable us to be transferred from that kingdom of darkness into his wonderful kingdom of light. And how do we respond? Do we respond with, with gratefulness this, this morning? 
Are we able to, uh, yes, uh, read uh, uh, those words that Charles Gabriel, that hymn writer, penned? Can we make them uh, our own this morning as we think about what Christ has done for us when he was condemned, a king condemned? Can we stand amazed in the presence of Jesus the Nazarene when when Charles Gabriel pens these words, he took my sins and my sorrows. He made them his very own. He bore the burden to Calvary and suffered and died alone. How marvellous, how wonderful, and my song shall ever be. How marvellous, how wonderful is my Saviour's love for me. May uh, those those words be a blessing to us. May these uh, um, um, poor reflections that I brought to you this morning be be of a blessing and of an edification to us as we think about the King who was condemned, condemned for our redemption and for our reconciliation with God. Amen.